welcome to welcome to this lesson on the future future in the past Santa Cruz, your Ward 1 Council member with today's co-host, Antonio Ramirez. You are listening to No Tucson. Antonio, what do we have this week? Yate, thank you, Council member. This week, we have a lot of guests. We have Minnie Frias, a councilwoman for the Pascuayaki Tribal Council, and Betty Viegas, a supervisor for Pima County, here to talk to us about efforts to restore an early voting site on the Pascuayaki Nation. We also have three members from the Tucson Native Youth Council, Azul Navarrete Valera, Isai Flores, and Tosai Maso Molina to tell us more about the council and share experiences as Tucson Native youth. Thank you to all our guests for joining us. We'll break this into two sections, starting off with the early voting site and then moving into the Tucson Native Youth Council. To kick it off, Councilwoman Frias and Supervisor Villegas, could you give us a little introduction? Justin Chanabo, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Herminia Frias, and I'm one of the 11 tribal council members of the Pascoyaki tribe. And we have been working with Supervisor Viegas on restoring our early voting sites here on the reservation at the Pascoyaki tribe. It's been an effort that we've been working on for the past two years, and um, it's been quite the challenge, but we are really appreciative of the support that we've gotten from the members of Pima County Board of Supervisors, in particular, Supervisor Viegas for really helping us to work us through these final final days of this election to hopefully get this um, site on the reservation. It's really important that we have a safe voting site, early voting site, especially during this pandemic. Supervisor Villegas? As you know, I came into this position in early April and one of our very, very first meetings, uh, actually it was the first meeting after I was sworn in that uh, the recorder had come to us and asked us to approve all the early and emergency voting locations. A, a lot of people didn't realize that we were not only approving the primary locations, but also the general locations. Because when I first met with the tribal council and their advocate representatives, the thought was that we were going to get to approve the, the general locations, but come to find out they were both approved at the same time. So we had to go to another plan, which was, you know what, I can talk to FN, you know, this isn't a hard fix. You know, I, I honestly, you know, in my, in my new role, didn't expect any pushback, but yeah, I did. I, I got pushback. I realized immediately when she reached, finally returned my call that, you know, she had already made her decision and, was not going to budge on and on providing a location there on the reservation and and you know i asked is there anything we can do and she said nope that's just the way it is it's you know it's not safe not enough people vote the safety issues are with the compromised internet and you know she she just kept going on and on and and i and this is all public you know so i'm not saying anything that 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 she hasn't said over and over again 
but we wanted to at least see if there was another way of trying to get her to change her mind. I asked the staff to research, you know, what is it that we can do? What authority does the Board of Supervisors have to change this? Especially since we're going through a pandemic and the COVID-19 is a big issue, there's got to be some other um, waivers or something. And uh, so we talked to the Secretary of State who told us that they would call her because they had the funding to help with this if they needed. But overall, through and through, recorder FN Rodriguez has not changed her mind and she has had plenty of opportunities to do so. We, you know, we have the authority for emergency locations and we authorized her to do that, but she has the list for all registered voters and she has the printer that is needed. And those two things are under her control and it was going to be up to her to to release those items, you know, so that they could have their at least emergency, if not early. Uh, Councilwoman Frias, could you explain a little bit about what's at stake with this early voting site and then what, what the cost is to the Pasquayaki Nation? Well, our public safety, our public health. You know, when we first started with the issue was really about our right, you know, our right to vote, our, our right to access to a, vo a voting site. And that's still the case. But as this has evolved, now it has become a, a public health issue. The closest polling location for the voting is over at the Mission Library. And so for the people that don't have a vehicle, which is um, one in five people here, they have to take the public transportation to Mission Library, which will take over two hours and two buses. You know, in the middle of a pandemic, who wants to do that? And living in a community and being part of a community who is, you know, who is high risk, if you do fall susceptible to, to COVID-19, that is not good for us. I, I just wanted to say what uh, Councilwoman Frias reminded me that one of our recommendations was to hire Uber drivers to take people to go vote. You know, I mean, that is, I mean, that's, it's, it, it was really insulting in my, in my opinion. It was insulting, right. you know. As if Uber drivers are safer or if that's really the, the, the core issue, right? Yeah. So, you know, the whole issue in the beginning was um, the communication that we didn't receive about why the polling site was changed and just our access to that and, and our right to have that in working with the sovereign nation and then how it has evolved now to being in the middle of a pandemic and how important it is to protect our citizenship. You know, everybody, every, every elected official and every community member wants to protect the people that they care about. And, you know, we're no different here at the Pascoyaki tribe. Um, so even if the citizenship was not you know, may have not been using early voting in the past as, as was claimed. We certainly have used it now under COVID. We just had tribal elections in, in June and we uh, focused on early voting, drive-through voting, and it was a huge success. So we've already done it. We know it works. Well, thank, thank you, Councilwoman Frias, for sharing that. I think it's really important that we talk about making voting sites more accessible and not less and not, you know, making excuses for why, you know, they're not worth our time. Because we know why we have voter disenfranchisement to begin with. Before we let y'all go, is there anything that our listeners can do to kind of help support this issue? 
Is there is there any ask of our community at this time? I think for for me, I see that the window is is getting shorter and shorter for us to be able to convince Efan Rodriguez that that this is important. And so I know that she's been getting a lot of letters, as I have, and I think that they need to continue. And at this point, the Pascualaki Council has had a representation from DC, and they did send a demand letter to her. And so we're kind of waiting for her response, right, Councilwoman? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We're so, waiting. Yeah, we're waiting on on her response and. Um, you know, what community can do is really reach out to the recorder's office and let them know that, you know, it is important that we do have an early voting site. Yeah, thank you so much um, for sharing uh, what's been happening at the county, at the reservation level, around our elections. It's so important that we be informed and it's important. This is why it's important, you know, that we vote and that we elect people that help represent our yeah, our communities and, and speak to um, to the issues and the needs, you know, that we're facing. So I want to thank you both so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thank, you. Yeah, thank you for inviting. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And we'll move on to our the second part of our podcast today. And we're speaking to the Tucson Native Youth Council. We have Isai, Azul, and Tosi. Um, could you go ahead and give us a little bit of an introduction, starting with Azul? Hello, my name is Azul Navarrete Valera. I come from Tucson Native Youth Council. I'm the female co-president, and the school that I go to is Tucson High, and I'm a senior. Hi, I'm Isai Flores. I'm Donata Minyaki, and I just graduated from the U University of Arizona. Dawson Chaniabo, Malia. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Dawson Maso Molina. And I'm come from the Tucson Evening Council, and I'm the male co-president. I am Yaki, and I go to uh, Pima Community College right now, but I attend it. But right now, I'm I'm taking online classes at um, Thornton Community College. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I'm curious, I know we have a, a, some other questions and topics that we wanted to cover with y'all today, but I'm interested since y'all just heard the conversation about the polling site at New Pascua being pulled out. What are y'all's thoughts on that? And what would you do? Um, I guess I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I think it's very, very appalling that that's happening with uh, the treatment of New Pascua Yaki members or those who live in the community. And I think it's appalling also because it's happening from uh, city elected officials. So they, I don't think they're giving as much access to everyone within the Tucson or giving them a fair chance to vote with the uh, public health in mind. Thank you. What about you, Azul? I believe that it's very degrading to the New Pascua tribe because it's not giving everybody an equal chance to vote. like. She said that they had to take two hours to the, to the nearest like voting, and that's not that's not okay. <laughs> um, actually, Gabrielle Casares, Kelly, she she talked to Tucson Native Youth Council. She gave us clarity on what she's trying to do, and it's just trying to create that equality that we don't see nowadays because of um, Anne Rodriguez. Tosi Maso, did you have anything to add? My opinion is sometimes like. They want to vote and we have like for them to have that opportunity to vote for the elderly or for the people in the 
imposter reservation or any like other situation. So um, I got to know the Tucson Native Youth Council a little while back before I even started working in this position. I came to your meeting and spoke about some project with the loop and, and getting more programs out there that uh, encourage activity and movement for uh, Native Americans. And so when I did that, I really noticed that your group had this tight, it was, like, it was very tight knit and, and you had a really special bond. And, and so that, I think that was really incredible and great to see. So I, I'd love to talk more about what has like the Tucson Native Youth Council um, become and, and what is it, like what are some of the issues or the things that you are trying to do now? I'll just start with the basic introduction. We started back in 2017, I believe. So we're, it's almost, it's already three years old. We made it because we wanted to have that community for uh, Native American youth within the Tucson area, whether they were from Tucson or from the reservation, going to school, uh, transferring schools. We kind of wanted to create a space for Native American or indigenous students to have one here or have one within Tucson, the urban side specifically, because there are other youth councils around like Walk Youth Council there in Santa Bia or uh, Pasco Yaqui Tribal Youth Council. Um, but we were basically one of the first within the Tucson urban area. And uh, you would consider that maybe like downtown and in the surrounding areas. But we also invite all sorts of students uh, and we wanted to help them develop, I guess, with their education, community engagement, or even just uh, getting to know more about the tribes or other tribes that are out there that they might not interact with on a daily basis. Azul, can you talk about some of the projects that you're all, um, you all are working on? Yes, so currently we're trying to make like a, like an online project type. So um, one of our members, Jacob Henry, he has done a podcast and he just tries to interview as many people as he can, you know, about like um, indigenous people and about about just different types of things like social issues or what we're doing in the pandemic or something. And it's really interesting. And we're trying to get that up, you know, trying to make like DIYs like or like native words. So like since we're in their tribal, we try to like put together many like, you know, different things. So I am. I'm Nawa. It comes from Mexico, southern Mexico. So I I know a little bit of Nahuatl, which is like the language that we speak, but many people don't know, you know. So, and we also have Atom, um, and then we also have Yaki, and Akimalatam, um, Navajo. So we try to like inherit as much as we can with those native words, and. Um, yeah, so far we're doing that. We're trying to be more connected with people. We just had an open house. Um, we had uh, the WAC Council, Vasquayaki Council. Um, Pima uh, Native American Student Services. Uh huh. And then we had one more, right? In Indian research. Yeah, it was uh, oh, and a Tucson Indian Center Youth Coalition. So there's about yeah. five of them. Uh huh. Yeah, and we just had that. We had a super fun time. We reconnected and everything. And yeah, we're just trying to be more connected in times like these. So we on Monday, we will be celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day, 
Um, so if you can tell us a little bit about, yeah, why it's important for you to, to acknowledge and celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day, but then also do, if y'all have any plans. To, to me, Indigenous Peoples Day is just a day to emphasize Indigenous heritage um, specifically. And although we try to uh, emphasize it every day, or um, Indigenous Peoples Day is where we focus on both the heritage, but also the, the issues that are going on within our communities, whether it's the uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women, uh, whether it's uh, something locally that's going on, whether it's problems in our on our own reservations or our own cities. Um, it's basically a way to amplify our, our voices through um, through social media or through uh, community engagement. I, I guess as far as uh, doing something on Indigenous Peoples Day, we might uh, release another podcast episode that we've done, but we also are, it's another uh, meeting that we're gonna have because we have them every, every Monday. So um, we, we will have, we'll, have, we'll share that with uh, our other members as well. Yeah, I love the idea of bringing more attention and um, just like public perception on the issues affecting Native Americans. Um, so with that said, are, are there any that, any additional ones in particular that um, you all are interested in bringing up right now? Uh, one thing we do as a youth council is, is do a focus on indigenous representation. So I, that can fall, or there have been many issues that have been from the past few a few years that have touched on this, but uh, um, one thing we always talk about is, uh, I guess, is is with uh, like Native Americans in higher education or uh, schools in general. We always talk about the percentages, how they're so low, or uh, compared to other ethnicities, and we kind of that's something we always focus on because we we want more students to that we want those numbers to go higher, or we want people to not feel, I guess, so like there's such a, a small percentage within their community. And that's more of on a local level. Um, we also do talk about missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, I remember uh, I, I wasn't able to attend that, but we did have a few members make uh, signs and wear ribbon dresses. And uh, they participate in a few parades, such as the Tucson uh, Women's March, I believe. We had a few members participate in those lo local uh, events before, just before um, pre-corona. But yeah, that was something that uh, our group, one of the, just one of the little projects or one of the little events that our group's always uh, supporting and participating in. Great, and uh, Azul and, and Tosi, is there anything that we haven't really asked that you wanna talk about or um, or share? Um, yeah, well, well, issue like you know like cultural identity like you know there's like other youths out here there's like but there's like different youths um you know yaki don't them but in like in the city area there's like youths like kind of like um want to like i get, like, get to know them themselves like who they are but sometimes they're kind of like you know afraid to like to um express themselves like who they really are and you know sometimes the monorail kind of like We'll kind of look at them different differently how like you know talking about um our language or just like having their like traditional wear like also in a 
as a since we're now we're like like in a tribal, we kind of like encourage our cultural and experience with TYC, and also we kind of like best to teach them like our members about about ways of their connected with their more of their their um communities like they're teaching about something like they don't know about themselves or their history and like for example like me like sometimes um you say I'm um, talking about um he's um Yaki and some a little about like you know the I guess history and kind of do that like cultural exchange telling them it's like like who we are you know, as um native people and yeah it's like like a lot of people kids here have um a lot of people like look down on them and like want to be like you know like like them like I guess I would say like so like we have I would say uh we have a lot of members who are who grew up in urban urban parts of Tucson so we kind of help them uh learn any heritage that they want to learn whether it's stories language and Tosai has helped me with that especially with or reconnecting with my Yaki roots that I I wasn't aware of just because of a uh, different parts of grow or different ways of growing up um, between reservation and city. I'm so glad you brought up the cultural identity aspect because, um, as you all know, with like the United States's policy of assimilation and, and attempts to just do away with tribes by bringing them into white society, and um, that was either done through the boarding schools, um, the policies of allotment, and um, and even citizenship. And that, that's like such a kind of a hurtful part of our past and it has an effect. So like with my family, my grandma was in boarding school and was taught not to speak the language and that it was actually a hindrance to succeeding in the world. And so now today I don't speak Navajo and, and I'm sure there's, I just know that there's so many out there who want to learn their language, but having those resources there and available so they can actually do that the same goes with culture. It's just having that availability and the avenue to find that. I think that's something that's um, not always easy to come by, especially when you're in an urban setting. And what it seems like you all are doing is trying to create that resource out there so you can help all indigenous people connect to their tribes. So yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, and just wanna express my appreciation for y'all. Thank you, Antonio, for saying that. I think with that, you know, typically what we see or what the way that Native people get portrayed, it's always in, in the negative light. And so I think what y'all are doing, you know, it's so important, you know, for like your self-determination, right, as people that we get to tell our own stories and not other people for us. So I'm wondering, like, I have the past couple of years been like loving all like the creative artists, you know, whether they're poets or they're rappers or um, video screenwriters or short stories coming out of like native tribes all throughout the country. So I am wondering if y'all have like a favorite creator, native creator that you follow and that you want to share with us. Um, I was going to ask Azul if she could share her experiences with the Unity Conference, which is a national Native American conference that I've hosted in a different city. And they like there is a lot of a lot more of uh, creators and uh, performers that go there every year. So uh, asked as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, those two questions are all combined with unity. And I've been there like one time, and I still remember it as if it was yesterday because it was just so 
so amazing and so like eye-opening that there are so many like native um creators out there that we haven't even heard of you know so like unity conference really opened my eyes and one of them that i remember was like superman because i did not know that that was like a genre or anything you know like combining like rap and then combining like traditional music too like that's that's so awesome and i i really i'm really thankful for that experience because that really opened my eyes up and then also that one band or the group what's called like a tribe called red how's it called again yeah, yeah. Tribe called red. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that type of music is just so awesome and because i do like rap I, I like the the expression that they give and everything um and then combined with indigenous music is just mind-blowing you know it's, it's something that i would have never thought of i've been seeing it more on the on the um, social media TikTok thing that I follow. <laughs> there are so many Native creators there too. And I'm just really thankful that we're starting to to inherit Indigenous music too, as well as with like rap or whatever it is, you know? And we also saw more um, local artists, right? Like OXDX. OXDX. I always get those confused. Yeah, those... I have I have one shirt I think because they're pretty expensive but they're they're really they're worth the cost you know so yeah I I'm grateful and we have some creators in our in Tucson Native Youth Council um we have a member called her name is Maddie Jeans and she does she does amazing art she's studying art right now and she aspires to be one of those creators someday so we have many inspirations and dreams inside of our council that we all combine. And I think that that's one of the beautifulest things ever <laughs> because we have many different ideas and creations. And with that, we always inspire each other to do better and to do great. And I think that that's one of the most amazingest things about Tucson Native Youth Council is because we see other indigenous people that are striving and that are trying to do better in ourselves in the community. And they, it inspires others to do well and to come into our community because it's a safe place for everybody <laughs> and um we try to make that known and like antonio said it is a tight community it's like very tight i consider everybody my family because it's in somewhere where i feel really safe that's that's awesome so thank you so much for sharing i just have one last question to wrap up and y'all can share and then you know we'll wrap it up but um, Y'all mentioned, you know, the majority of, of um, the youth on the council are, you know, are like native, are urban natives. You're living in the city. And myself as a city elected official, you know, that represents like the west side and the southwest part of the city. Like what, what would you ask of me? You know, what would you ask of city leaders to make sure that we're addressing the issues and needs that are impacting native youth here in Tucson? That, that's a good question. If, unless Azul or Tosa has an answer right now, I could, I could try to, I think I have a question. Uh, um, one would be, uh, uh, how is Ward 1 showing ways that uh, I, since uh, this is traditional Tonatam and Yaki land, uh, what are some ways that you folks might be um, acknowledging that in one way? I, I, noticed, that the, I noticed that the U of A um, does it in different ways maybe on their presentations or uh, uh, recently with the TUSD, um, we helped helped out two members uh, 
do a policy policy change um, with the uh, regalia in, wearing, being worn during graduation. And, and we also uh, supported, uh, I guess, the the hanging of uh, the Don Ottoman Yaki flag within the TUSD boardroom. So uh, we didn't know that those things will make a difference. And we didn't know that uh, there were people advocating for that. But once they happened and once we jumped on board as a, as a youth council, we saw it. Um, you know, Native students having a different reaction or uh, teachers uh, and uh, advisors and uh, board members really uh, changing their perception on Native people or uh, I guess even just minorities in general are trying to be as inclusive as possible. So uh, I was, that's what I was saying, Howard Ward one, um, what are some initiatives they're trying to do to be more inclusive towards uh, Native or even Latino or Blacks or any any minority community? That is a really good question, Isai, and I think it's important. I think it even starts with like the staff, you know, at the office and making sure that we're representing, you know, the different communities that we come from. So I can say that from, you know, at that level, it was important um, for me to make sure that we, you know, also had Indigenous folks represented um, that were hired on staff. But then it's also even building those relationships, like with the Pasquayaki tribe and the Hanafim tribe. And um, a lot of times we're all working in silos. And for me, it's like, I know there's a lot of Native people living in the city. So how are we still make, like making things accessible and, and they're seeing that their issues and needs are being met. But sometimes like we have some symbolic things like trying to get the flags, you know, the Pasquayaki and the Hanafim flags in City Hall and in our office, you know, flying them all. Um, recognizing that this is um, tradi the traditional lands of the Hanatham. And then um, even in our in our policy stuff, like Antonio is really kind of heading up a lot of our, like what's our indigenous policy plan and what are we trying to bring to the table? But then even looking at the land that we have at the base of a mountain, which is what's sacred, you know, it was sacred um, where our our Otham relatives lived for the past 10,000 years. And so how do we make sure that they're also being consulted and that they, that they have a say, you know, on what happens with, with that land, even though the federal government made treaties, you know, saying that they couldn't claim, you know, make any claims to lands that have been taken away from them. They were giving, you know, the reservations. I, I don't think that's right. So how do we still um, basically ask permission for any kind of project that's trying to happen there. And that's just to start off, you know, we have a long ways to go, but we just want to build those relationships so that we're doing right by our people. Um, well, I have a question. What type, of, what type of problems do you see that we probably aren't aware of or that we have suppressed so much that we don't even understand anymore, but you see it well and you're trying to make a difference about? Well, uh, a big one having also, you know, been born and raised here is I don't see people that look like us, you know, making the decisions. I don't see them being part, like working for the city. And I'm not even talking about the elected officials, um, which is another layer. I'm talking about like who's making the decisions internally. So I feel like that's missing, you know, like we're so disconnected. Um, we don't learn about our city or our county or our tribal, you know, leaderships in, in school, we learn about like the federal government and the electoral college and not that that's bad, but we spend no time, you know, like actually understanding the systems that are making decisions for us every single day. Um, so we're so, you know, kind of unaware. 
And I think with a lot of us trying to change the face of who runs for office, it's to like make that more accessible, you know, for folks in our community, because you can't just tell people to vote. Like you need to give them reasons. You need to have people that they, they feel like that's, whether that could be me or that's like my tia or my cousin, or, you know, like you feel like these are people that are accessible and people that share your, your values, you know, your, yeah, that they're part of your community that you would have access to them. Um, but no, I, I want to be like a resource for y'all in any way, you know, any, if y'all have any questions or any issues and you're like, we don't know where to start and you want to brainstorm with us or we can help connect you, um, please let us know. And if I could add just, just one more thing, um, this is on the symbolic level, but there's a park in, in Tucson named Christopher Columbus Park. Um, so we're in discussions about renaming it. And then, of course, there's opposition to that, um, people who want it to stay the same name. So we really need to have in, in like additional members voicing their, uh, their opinions. So if that's something you all are interested in, in joining those conversations with, um, let us know. We're, we're willing to open those doors. We're trying to. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I'd love to do that. All right. Well, with that, we just want to thank you so much, you know, for taking time out of your day to, to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate uh, you guys taking the time out to interview us. Yes. Thank you for thinking of us. Thank you for listening to No Tucson. Visit our social media, keep listening on our website, or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and in the know. Until next time, bye. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. Have a great.